when this teacher, whom you admired deeply, is not only killed but executed by the state. And this teacher is the one, the more and more I read the scriptures and study what others who've deeply read the scriptures say, that it really is about pushing against a state that is about accumulating wealth at the expense of those who do not have. And I've actually come, I said this Friday night when I preached at All Souls, I've come to understand when I was in seminary, a lot of my friends who are deeply Christian there are very comfortable using the word Lord. And that has for me all that feminist, like, oh, just great, makes my teeth grind, because it brings up all that patriarchy. But the more I understand that Jesus' teachings were against the Roman religion that made the Roman leaders gods and lords, that it is such a radical move to name this carpenter teacher Lord, that I get it now. And it doesn't make my teeth grate at all. It's like, ah, it really is naming what it means for an activist to be willing to push against what is real and change, help change the lives, not, not on his own. That's the other thing. We revere this death and this man as if he were working alone, but it's about, in fact, he was incredibly successful in creating a community around him that continues to thrive. But I'm also finding myself in the scriptures when the reading that Anita did, when Thomas is the one, oh yeah, you saw Jesus? Prove it. I want to see. I want to see those marks. I want to see the slit on his side. And I feel like I'm in good company with all the Thomases here who say, oh yeah, you prove what you are telling me is true. And I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap. Uh, and more and more, I, I think, you know, the, the scriptures are oral documents. They're a lot like emails, because it's someone thinking in their head, they have something they want to say, and then a scribe writes it down, and the intonation is lost. So all those texts about Thomas and others, well, I'll give you an example not related to Thomas. That phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child, we can read that two different ways. Spare the rod, spoil the child, so that means you better beat those children. Or it could be a plea for leniency and understanding that children are growing and changing and that punishing them physically is brutal. Spare the rod. Spoil the child. So I think when Thomas is doubting, all the text in there doesn't necessarily chastise him. And Jesus comments about 
blessed are those who don't doubt. And that doesn't necessarily mean those who do doubt don't get blessed. I don't know about you, but when other people get compliments, I say, well, what am I, chopped liver? Aren't I fabulous, wonderful, beautiful, whatever? Well, no. Doesn't mean when someone else is appreciated that you are diminished. So I'm going to make the case today that Thomas is speaking for us that doubting is at the heart of our tradition and of asking questions. And I think Jesus, as a teacher, every single teacher worth their salt says, it's not that you ask questions. I want you to be asking questions. I want you to be asking questions and then making the next question you ask even better. So I don't believe that Jesus would chastise Thomas for asking, I, help me understand Help me see. We get caught up in belief. That you have to believe in the recreation, resurrection. (laughs) You have to believe. We get, we let belief and dogma and denominational fine tuning divide us, rather than finding what brings us together. So we use this man who is a teacher in a way that's really brutal. We use it to divide us. And he was a teacher. I repeat myself, but I have to remind myself, Rabbi, this is a Jewish tradition. When you read whatever gospel, whatever part of the Second Testament, it's, it's, it's parabolic. They are teaching stories. They are not literal history. And the teaching stories are all adjusted for the particular audience of the day. Um, And it's Thomas who actually names what Easter means. Because once he believes, what he says is, my Lord. So it's back to that he understands that this person is putting himself in contrast to the empire and the Roman leaders who are robbing the general public blind. So by calling Jesus my Lord, he's saying, I am willing to follow your teachings. And then he says, my God, which we struggle with, so maybe we can take that as, my God! Or, not to be funny, what he's really saying is, so the God of his understanding is the one that looks out for the least of these. I'm willing to follow this Lord who's teaching me what it means to live my life differently. And that makes perfect sense to me. That's not some heebie-jeebie, hocus-pocus miracle. Although I have to say, when I am willing to do something that is against my nature, that is more generous, or take a stand, it does feel like a miracle. It does. When I'm willing to act against my immediate self-gratification to do something that is 
going to change something for others. That's a miracle. I went to a memorial service that some of you went to yesterday, and in the middle of that I thought, aha, that's what Easter is. It's what we always do for a memorial service. We celebrate a life, and we lift up what that person who has died meant to us so that we recognize the depth of the whole left in the fabric of the world by that person's death. But by golly, we are not going to let go of all of the love and teachings. Even if the love and teaching, I've done some complicated memorial services where what you're working with is how do I, how do I love this person that was so complicated in my life? And you have to figure that out. And sometimes it's only by that loss can you go, oh, what I've learned is not to go in that direction. And that's still a lovely lesson to learn. So that's what we're called to do today with Easter. I'm sympathetic with these people who loved this teacher. And this teacher died and haven't you all experienced a death where you go, this can't be, this can't be true. And for days and days, it doesn't feel like it's real. Isn't that what they must have been feeling too? That sense of disappointment and despair and, and you fill in all sorts of stories. And how do you keep the memory of that person alive but tell those stories? And it's, it's almost as if they're here. When we gather, it's almost as if my friend is it really that exotic what Easter is? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. It is very human, very real. So I want to end because Jesus was a teacher. And this is what we do at memorial services. Is we say, this person taught us. And so we're going to remember. So I've picked two of Jesus, the, the greatest hits of Jesus. Two things that we should hold on to, not get muddied with whether it's a miracle or not. The Beatitudes. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And his second greatest hit, all a variation on the theme of love no matter what. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me 
clothing. I was sick. And you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you? When was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, of the human race, you did it to me. May it be so.